Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would illuminate your word and your truth and your love to our hearts and in our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's great to be back with you again. If I haven't met you, my name's Father Mike. I'm a friend of Father Joe's and uh, very glad to be here. So Martha says to Jesus, don't you think it's unfair that I'm doing all the work and my sister's in there sitting and not doing anything? I have five daughters and that conversation takes place on an almost nightly basis <laughs> at our house. When I read that again this time, I thought, that is so familiar. It is a familiar story to us, the story of Martha and Mary. But let's take a look and dive into that story this morning to see what things the Lord would have for us to see today. So, verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her, welcomed him into her home. So we'll pause there for a minute. So Jesus and the disciples, it doesn't say whether it was the 12 or whether it was the 72 or some number in between. But Jesus and a crowd of his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. There's a whole lot of events that will take place in Jerusalem, of course. But on their way, they stop at Martha's house and Martha's preparing a dinner. So it's worth pausing for a minute to say she was preparing a dinner for at least 12 or 15 people and as many as 70 or 80 people. <laughs> so we can hardly blame her for being on task and being mindful of all the things that had to be done to pull that off. Now, in our culture, busyness is uh, a badge of honor. You know, it's, it's somehow it got woven into the culture, even in conversation. How you been? How you doing? Oh, well, I'm busy. We say that because usually a person says, oh, well, that's great. Busyness in our culture somehow represents that, you know, there's, you're important, there's relevance, there's things to do, there's places to go. Uh, busyness is held up as a very esteemed thing. It might have been that way, too, in biblical times. But what we do know is for sure in biblical times, a value like that that was held very high in culture was that of hospitality. And even in parts of the world today, it's like this as well, where you bring people into your home to make the guests feel comfortable uh, and have a good time and have all their needs met, that stranger or friend, that that offer of hospitality and that providing that hospitality was really a high value. And besides just the cultural high value, if you're going to have Jesus and all of his friends or a bunch of his friends in your house for dinner, you're going to be working hard to make it nice, right? To have everything look and be the way it ought to be. So in that sense, Martha was doing exactly what she was expected to do or what even culturally what would be expected. You're having people over, working really hard to do the hospitality right. And Mary was not doing what was expected in a couple of ways. It's Martha's house. 
marries her sister, it's her house too, naturally she'd be involved in the hospitality and the dinner preparations. But there's another, there's another uh, layer to this too that I always think is worth bringing up. Mary was in the other room, sitting at Jesus' feet, absorbing his words, just taking in his presence in the home. That was out of place, not just because of the hospitality issue, but it was out of place because of the male-female issue. In biblical times, to sit at the rabbi's feet and to be a disciple, that's something only a man would do. Certainly Mary was the only woman in there doing that. While Martha was doing something expected, preparing the house, doing the hospitality, it's also interesting, again, where Luke shows Martha and says she's the owner of the house. In this cultural time, you wouldn't commonly refer to the woman as the owner of the house. It's not that I say these things to say this is the main part of the story, that Mary's at Jesus' feet and that had only before in the culture been something for men, or Martha's the owner of the house, which would be a male thing. It's not that that's the main part of the story, but I always think it's worth bringing up because it's one of the many, many, many times in the Gospels, especially in Luke's Gospel, where women are brought into the Gospel story and honored by Jesus and esteemed by Jesus and valued by Jesus. It's woven all through, and sometimes it's very subtle, like this. But I always think it's worth bringing to bear. Verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem to you unfair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. That was not a neutral question. That was not, I'm just going to, Martha, say, I'm just going to check in with Jesus and see if this is right. This is, don't you think it's unfair? Don't you think you ought to be telling her to get up and get going? But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, many translations say Martha, Martha. But that was a soft, endearing tone. That's important. Jesus wasn't scolding her. Jesus wasn't rolling his eyes, Martha, Martha, come on. He wasn't. It, it, was, it was a soft and it was an encouraging redirect. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these things, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's upset and worried and concerned about many things. Jesus doesn't say that they're bad things, that they're wrong. Certainly not sinful. They're certainly not, uh, I mean, there's, they're necessary in order to do what they're planning to do, is to have this dinner. It doesn't say that they're wrong things, but just that there's many things. Part of the work I do these days during the week is that I work as a hospice chaplain. So I get to meet one-on-one with lots of uh patients that are at the end of their life and their families as well. And there's this one man that I always really enjoy talking to. He loves the Lord. He has wonderful insights. He's a younger man, 
um, just a little bit older than me. And he says, now that he's at the end of life, he, he always he shakes his head and he says, I used to be, I mean, it just reminds me of the story so much. I used to be concerned with so many things, so many things, going here and doing that and thinking about this and keeping up with that. I thought those things were so important. And now that that's there's a, in this stage of life that that has fallen away, thankfully he knows and loves the Lord, so his heart and mind is very directed there. But he has this heart. He's He has this heart of, oh, I see it more clearly now. There's There's just this one thing. This relationship with the Lord, this presence of Jesus that lasts and remains. It's a whole different perspective. Jesus isn't scolding Martha, which is good news because a lot of people, again, in our culture, a lot of us are doers. And so if you're a doer, don't fret. You're not being devalued by the message of this story. The message of the story really isn't that being a beer, just being at Jesus' feet, is always better than being a doer. That's There's something a little bit more fundamental. And I would suggest that it's this word here. Martha was distracted by the big dinner. The word distracted. I think Jesus is touching on the issue of distraction, whether we're tuned in to the presence of God, what God is doing, what he's about, what's happening. Mary was sitting at his feet because simply she was just more enthralled with Jesus than she was with the dinner plans, which were good, not bad, which were important and necessary. But it was that one thing. Somehow she was able to, to listen and to rest, even when the circumstances called for no rest. She tuned in. She was somehow able to cut right through the distraction to listen, to sit at Jesus' feet, and to rest. But again, we're not looking at resting only or sitting only is what Jesus is commending here. If we back it up and look at the the story just ahead of this story in Luke's gospel in the 10th chapter, the story just before Martha and Mary is the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know that story well as too, uh, very well too. Man's at the roadside, beaten, in danger. The priest goes by, continues on. The temple worker goes by, continues on. And a Samaritan, a Samaritan of all people, stops And it says this, verse 33, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And then it details all the many things that the Samaritan did to bandage up his wounds, to get him to a place of safety, to follow up later. Now why do I bring that up? Because in that story, just ahead of this one, it was action that was being commended. It was action that was being honored by Jesus. He was saying, the priest went by, he probably was very busy, probably had very understandable things to get to, very important things, many things to attend to. Same with the temple worker. But the Samaritan somehow cut through the distraction. He probably had things to do too. 
He was on the road, probably had, certainly didn't have this plan, but somehow cut through that distraction to see, to connect with God's heart, he felt compassion, and to act, to take action. So the Good Samaritan saw and acted because that's what the father was doing in that situation. And Mary listened and rested because that's what the Lord was doing in that situation. I don't think it's so much about being is better than doing, doing is better than being, but it's about focusing in through the distractions, the many distractions of life, the many good things, the many neutral things. Jesus was quoted saying once that he only did what he saw his Father in heaven doing. He's always, just throughout the day, in the midst of the distractions, we, we sometimes call it practicing the presence of God, being tuned in to the activity of his Father. And so he said, I only do, of all the infinite number of things I could do, I do those things that I see my Father in heaven doing. That's his invitation for us as followers of Jesus. To acknowledge that our lives are filled with distraction. There's no way around it. But as followers of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit alive inside of us, by God's grace we can tune in to the heart and the mind of Christ. And to be about what he's doing, to be about what that next right thing is for us in the moment. Sometimes it's to see, to feel compassion, and to act. Sometimes it's to stop and to listen and to rest. All of it's determined on where is Jesus leading us in, in, in every given moment. So here's a, a question. How do I allow myself to be distracted and to avoid the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I allow myself to be distracted? And kind of in other words, what, where, and how am I distracted from either seeing and acting or listening and resting? Well, I'll share some with you uh, of my own. The uh, What does it look like, the sitting and listening look like for me? I'm like every typical American Got a full schedule, always on the go. So somewhere to be, somewhere to, something to do, a uh, voicemail to return, emails to check, all of that. And it's just so easy to just stay in that rhythm on and on and on and to not stop and to listen. It's amazing how it doesn't even have to be that difficult. The other, uh, I, I work also as a chaplain in another setting during the week as well, and it's entirely different than hospice. It's uh, in an inner city youth program in Cleveland um, for job training for inner city youth, and um, they bring a spiritual component into it. So you get to be there as a chaplain as well. And one of the lessons that I present to our students is we take a look at this role of, of or this practice of silence and stillness because it's such a rare thing in our life and in our culture. I say that just like when you're 
computer gets all slow and all burdened down, whether it's a virus or if it's just there's too many windows open. So what do you have to do? You have to close, click and close all those windows and oftentimes shut it off and let it restart. When your phone freezes up and it won't do anything right, what do you do? You shut it off just for a minute and let it come and restart. So with the, with the youth, what I do is we, I say we're going to have 60 seconds, just 60 seconds, and we're just going to be still and we're just going to be quiet. I said, if you pray, you can pray. If you want to just think of a good thought, you can do that. If you want to think about nothing, you can do that. I said, now to some of you, this will feel like an eternity. 60 seconds. And sure enough, about half of the group each time said, that was excruciating. I said, to some others, you'll say, oh, can we have 10 more minutes of that? Can we have 30 more minutes of that? That is such a delight to enter into that stillness, that silence. I was so blessed this week. I had a former student who was in the building came up and she said, you know that silence thing? She said, I use that every day. Just as the day gets going and I start to feel myself kind of slowing down like a computer that's getting too many windows open or a phone that's about to crash, I just stop and I'm just still and silent for a minute, two minutes. God will meet us there anytime, every time. And that's an act of trust, actually, to say, yes, there's all these things to do. But in the midst of that, I'm going to tune in to Jesus and see what his next right thing for me looks like. Sometimes in those, in that minute, two minutes, little bit of time, it's not like I instantly, I'm just at peace and my mind is still. Usually, my mind keeps flowing with all of this, random thoughts, this and that. What do I have to do next? That's okay. Don't wrestle against those things as they come to mind. Just release them to Jesus. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. He knows all what's going on around us more than we do. So when I'm taking a moment to connect with him and thoughts are flooding my mind, I don't beat myself up. I don't say, oh, this isn't worth it. I didn't do it right. Just take every one of those thoughts and release them to him to clear them out. And when I can actually do that, I'd like to do it more than I do. It's always good. What does seeing and acting look like? There's listening and resting. The seeing and the acting. In my experience, it's like this. Even when I'm not busy doing work stuff, or stuff around the house. I find myself very mentally busy. One of the ways that shows up in my life is I always like to have something on. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I like to have music on, the radio on, TV on in the background, just background noise. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's that's sinful. But I certainly can recognize that it's one of the many things. It's not the thing. And what I'm finding sometimes is if my mind's always sort of half there in the background, listening to something interesting or kind of keeping a half ear on something else, then it's very, it's all that much more unlikely that I'm going to be able to tune in 
to what the Lord is doing or showing me or doing within me? How can I be sensitive to the voice of the Lord about areas of my life that need renewal, uh, about needs and people around me, if there's always just some other little bit of background noise going? It's one of the way the Lord's been tugging on my heart in this. There's also these practices of followers of Jesus that we know they, they demonstrate our trust in the Lord, that the Lord has the world under control, and our first and foremost is to pursue the one thing connecting with him. These practices are practicing the Sabbath. It's not meant to be a legalistic thing or the do's and don'ts on a specific day. I think the spirit of the Sabbath is, is there a time where things are on and going and moving? And is there a time when they're not? Is there a time when there's other space created to sit and rest? It's an act of trust. When we bring our tithes and offerings unto the Lord, I believe that's a seeing and an acting. It's an act of trust. It's saying these resources, these things, God, that you've blessed me with, I entrust to you. And in doing so, I'm positioning myself to say God is in control. I am not. Fasting, whether it be food-related or other-related, it's creating that extra space. Extra space to what? To see the people and the needs around me. To register with the feelings and the things inside of me. To be in touch with that. And to have those things connected in the Lord. Lord, would you show me what to do, where to go amidst the countless possibilities. As we close, let's pray together this morning that the Lord would help us in this, that he would give us grace in this, to connect with the presence of God in our lives, all around us, all the time. And when it's time to sit and listen and rest, that with Jesus we do that. When it's time to see and be filled with compassion and act that we take the hand of Jesus and do that. Lord God, we pray this morning that you'd help us in all these things. We thank you that you are with us, that your invitation is extended to us to join you in what you're doing and what you're about and what you're thinking and how you're acting. God, I thank you that in your goodness that you are always drawing us to our to yourself, inviting us to be transformed and to be made new, inviting us to be on mission with you, seeing and acting in accordance with your will and the building of your kingdom. Bless us, God, amidst the many distractions and amidst the many the many things to find you the one thing. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.